0: Just, yeah, while you're turning to the passage, hopefully you've picked up already from this morning, um, but the Bible is super central to everything we do, and we believe that the Bible is God's primary way of speaking to us, his people, um, and it shapes everything we believe and do. Um, After I finish the reading, I'll say this is the word of the Lord, and we will all respond together. Thanks be to God. Um, There's also some Bibles down at the back. If you want to grab one of those to read, um, please feel free. And if you don't have a Bible, please consider that a gift from us. Um, So let's hear the Lord speak to us from James chapter 2, verses 14 to 26. What good is it, my brothers, if some says he has faith but not have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, And in the same way, was not also Rahab the prostitute justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way? For as the body, apart from the spirit, is dead, so also faith, apart from works, is dead. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Thanks, Caitlin. Uh, Good morning, everyone. Uh, Good to see you all, and thanks for being here, especially if you... Look at all these papers, look at this, it's like the newsreaders. They have that thing at the end. Um, if you're visiting with us this morning, it's great to see you. Uh, my name is Andrew. I'm uh, one of the pastors of Village. I, I lead our congregation here in Village South, along with the other elders who, who lead over in Village East, um, and it's great to have you this morning. Um, we're working our way through the book of James at the minute. As, as Lauren mentioned, next Sunday is my last Sunday for six weeks, and uh, even though I will miss you, I'm really looking forward to it, um, and we're going to keep going through James while I'm away, um, and, but there's going to be a few weeks in there. We're going to have a couple of guests. Some friends of mine here are going to come and preach for us, and and so in those weeks, we'll take a break from James, but more or less, uh, we're just going to keep going through James. Uh, you might remember that I, we've said uh, before that this, this book of James is a letter from uh, the Apostle James. He was Jesus' brother. Um, so both had the same mum, not the same dad, obviously, because Jesus didn't have an earthly dad. Um, the half-brother of Jesus, then, I guess you could say. And it was written to Christians scattered all across Northeast Asia, so think of like modern-day Western Turkey. Um, and we've seen and we've been looking at this, how studying this letter allows us to examine the relationship between our faith and our works. And it also helps us examine how our faith impacts our city, and the world around us. And I think it's fair to say that nowhere else does James face up to these two issues than in the passage that Caitlin just read for us. So who's been, who's been watching the Olympics? I've been trying to watch as much as possible. Nobody, no sports fans. A few, yes, thanks. Um, I've, been, uh, I've been loving the last few days modern pentathlon, which is pretty spectacular, those athletes are incredible. But I've really enjoyed the boxing. It's kind of been one of the longest tournaments throughout the whole thing. And I, I do like boxing in general. Um, and it's so, it's so fascinating the way these athletes can uh, just find a, find a gap in their opponent's defense and, and land punches. And, and that's how I feel a wee bit when I read the book of James. That I'm on the receiving end of that. Because he doesn't pull any punches, does he? It's just, it's just shot after shot after shot. And the reason we feel like that when we read it is because he writes to convict us. He writes to show us areas in our lives that need change and need the, need the grace of Jesus to pour into them. Now, I wonder if you've ever had to make a, a claim on your insurance. I mean, it was house insurance or car insurance if you ever had an accident. Um, if you have, you'll know that it's not, it's not a nice process, is it? Um, they, they, they kind of make it as, as difficult as possible, so they ask all these in-depth questions. Um, they, they want to know where and when this happened, and how this could have happened, and was your door locked, and whose fault was it, and where was your car parked, and all this crazy kind of stuff. It's almost as if their position is, we think you're lying until you can b- uh, back up your claim with evidence. Well, we're not going to believe you until we see the evidence of your claim. Every detail is cross-examined, and they pile on the pressure to, to, to see whether the evidence you give them matches what you say. And the reason they do this is because they want to know, they need to know if your claim is genuine. Is your claim genuine? In 2019, the cost of false insurance claims in the UK was 1.2 billion pounds. On false insurance claims. That's a lot. And so we can see why they need to ask this question, is this claim a genuine one? And that's the question that that James asks of us in this passage this morning. He's addressing uh, professing Christians, people who claim to have faith in Jesus Christ. And he's asking them in in the most direct way, and maybe the most direct uh, passage in this entire letter, is your claim of faith in Jesus genuine? is your claim genuine? Look at what he says in verse 14. I mean, really, his language is it's just straight to the point. He says, what good is it, my brothers, and actually the, the, the word there is brothers and sisters. What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone says he has faith, or to put it another way, if someone claims he has faith, but does not have works, can that faith save him? What he's saying is, 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 is simply claiming to have faith in Jesus enough to save us. And James's answer to this question is a resounding no. And here's what he's saying. He's saying that faith in our hearts must be evident in the fruit of our lives. Faith in our hearts must be evident in the fruit of our lives. Just claiming to have faith in Jesus isn't enough. There must be evidence of that faith in our lives. And remember, uh, James is writing to, to a group of Christians, people who say they trust in Jesus. And it seems as though some of these people uh, believe that saying they believe in Jesus is enough. They believe that this is enough to, to save them. They say, well, yes, I, I believe that Jesus died and rose again. And then they think they can just kick back and put their feet up. That, that it's fine for them to live however they want to. Their so-called faith is having no impact on the way they live. And James says, listen, you need to ask yourself, is your claim genuine? And this is a crucial question for us. Because believing we have genuine faith in Jesus, if we really don't, thats a very dangerous thing. And James sets out in this key section of this book to paint a picture of what genuine saving faith in Jesus really looks like. And the first thing that that he shows us is that faith is about more than just words. Faith is more than just words. Listen to verse 16 to 17. He says, um, sorry, verse 15 to 17, he says, "'If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and, "'and lacking in daily food, "'and one of you says to them, "'Go in peace, be warm and filled.'" Without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also, faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. So imagine, he imagines there's a person who, who, who claims to have faith, and then there's someone in the church, and they see one of their brothers or sisters who, who uh, is homeless and, and uh, has uh, ripped clothes and can't afford any food. And then this uh, Christian comes along, and they, they just offer them a word of encouragement. They say, Oh man, that's really rough, but you know God loves you and and I'm going to pray for you. But that's all they do. They don't do anything to help. And James says, what good is that? What good is that? Because their actions don't match their words. There have been quite a few examples of that in in the last year. People's actions not matching their words. And actually, we know what it looks like when we see it and we don't like it. We think of all the politicians and medical officers who've, who've put down the rules about lockdowns and social distancing, and then you hear in the news that, that they've done the exact opposite. And we don't like it. It grates against us. It seems unfair when people say one thing but do the other. And we need to be challenged this morning. Are we in danger of being people who say we have faith in Jesus, but our actions don't match our words? Are we in danger of loving Jesus with our lips, but not with our lives? Could we be people, for example, who are quick to say, yes, the gospel is for everyone, and then we undermine those words by by being unwelcoming to certain groups of society? Could we be be, um, quick of saying, yes, God's kingdom is for everyone, but then we ignore the least of society? Could we be quick to offer encouraging words to a brother or sister in our church family who's struggling financially or with loneliness but we never help them out with money or food and we never go to see them? Are we at times quick to say that helping the needy, needy in, our, in our local area is important to us, but then in reality, we never open our wallets or bank accounts. No one carries a wallet anymore, I guess. We don't do anything about it. Because the truth is that it's not our words that honestly reflect what we believe. It's our actions, isn't it? We know this to be true. James actually goes, on, goes so far as to say in verse 17 that if our faith isn't accompanied by works, it's dead. If the faith you claim to have amounts to nothing more than words despite what Ronan Keating says, some of you will get that, it's dead. It's worthless. Your, 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 your faith isn't even genuine. Church, we need to realize just how practical the gospel is. I, I think that in, in our church, we're pretty good at, at knowing the word. I, th- I think and that's a really good thing. And we don't want to ever ch- change that. But I think that sometimes we can err on the side of of being all about what we know and not so much about what we do. The gospel of Jesus is practical. No more practical than, than, than God Himself leaving heaven, becoming one of us, living as one of us, and then dying on a cross as one of us, and then rising from the dead. That's how practical the gospel is. He came and met our need. Remember what we saw in in James chapter 1. If you don't remember, James says, if we're hearers of the word and not doers of the word, then we deceive ourselves and our faith isn't real. That's what he says. So let's come back to our original question. Is your claim of faith in Jesus genuine? And then in verse 18, James uh, introduces our hypothetical objector. um, And and, and this person comes along and he says, He says, Uh, well, James, uh, just hang on a second. Um, It's just different expressions of the same thing, right? You say tomato, I say tomato. One person has faith and and the other has works. These are acceptable alternatives, James. Surely they're just different expressions of the same Christianity. And then James, he kind of humors the person and he says, okay, well, suppose you're right. Show me your faith. Show me your faith apart from your works. What he's saying is, show me your faith without pointing to your actions. And this is impossible, isn't it? Because the only way to know if someone has faith in their hearts is by looking at the evidence in their lives. I can say, I love, I love my wife, you know. I, I love her with all my heart. But if you look at my, if you look at my life and, and you see how I live and I don't talk to her, I don't, uh, we never go out for dinner or I don't help her around the house or all these different things, you're going you're gonna to question whether or not I really love her, aren't you? And James says, you're getting this all wrong. I will show you my faith by my works. That's how I can prove to you that my faith exists and is genuine, not by what I say, but by what I do. When I was a child growing up in the gospel hall uh, faith was often explained like this you've probably heard this analogy i can i can look at that chair and i can and i can say that i believe that chair will hold my weight when i sit on it right that's my claim but ultimately it doesn't really mean anything if i never actually sit on the chair it's only when i sit on the chair that i demonstrate that that my i demonstrate my faith that i say i believe This chair can hold my weight because look, now I'm sitting on it. My faith in it can be seen by what I do. And faith and works aren't alternative options which which really equate to the same thing. One is actually the proof of the other. What we do actually proves our faith, you see? And here's what we need to grasp this morning. No one can see the faith you claim to possess unless it's demonstrated in the life you live. No one can see the faith you claim to possess unless it's demonstrated in the life you live. And this is the second point that James makes. Not only is is faith not just about our words, faith must be accompanied by works. Listen to what James says in verse 19. He says, You believe God is one, you do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. Hey, you know, he's, he's going after their, their Bible knowledge here, their doctrinal knowledge, if you want to use that language. Doctrine is just a word we use, and it just means uh, what, we, what we believe, right? That's what doctrine is. What we say about what we believe. He's saying, oh, well, you believe that God is one. Oh, you believe in the Trinity? You believe in the doctor, doctrine of the Trinity? Well, good for you. Because guess what? Even the demons believe in that. You see, just knowing the Bible on its own is not a sign of genuine saving faith. Plenty of people know the Bible way better than any of us in this room and yet don't know Jesus. Faith is is about more than just knowing certain things in your head. It's about more than just being able to articulate our beliefs about the Christian faith. Some we're really familiar with in Northern Ireland, aren't we? There are tons of people out there who, who know the Bible we you know lots about the Bible, people who at times even are happy to agree with what the Bible says, people who will even argue publicly and politically for what the Bible says, and yet the way they live contradicts the commands of God. And we need to grasp that admission of the truth isn't the same thing as sub- submission to the truth. Admission of the truth isn't the same as submission to the truth. In other words, I can admit that I believe Jesus Christ is Lord with my mouth, but it's a whole different thing to submit to Jesus with my life. Saving faith goes beyond intellectual belief. Saving faith must be lived out because without a life of repentance, of sin and obedience to Jesus, our claim of faith is worthless. It's useless. It's dead. And honestly, I think this is something we need to be careful of. James, you know, he, he's writing to Christians that I think are quite like us. Christians who, who know the Bible, Christians who are, are good at being part of a church, you know, uh, No doubt if their, their church probably looked a little bit like ours, minus the COVID, but they would uh, meet in each other's houses, that's how they would have met, sharing meals together talking about the Bible, uh, working out what the Bible says about all the latest issues. He's writing to Christians here a bit like us, I think. So we need to ask ourselves, could we be in danger of making our beliefs about Jesus just theoretical? We know what the gospel demands of us, but do we do what the gospel demands of us? We know how the gospel could change us, but, but do we allow the gospel actually to change us? It's all in our heads and not seen in our lives. James says, I will show you my faith by what I do. The faith in our hearts should be evident in the fruit of our lives because faith and action go together. Now remember what Jesus, or James is doing here. He's writing with, with genuine concern. These are Christians, remember, who used to be in, in Jerusalem with him. James led the church and he was one of the pastors of the church in Jerusalem at the time. And, and, and then when uh, Stephen uh, was martyred and then all this persecution rose up and all these Christians had to flee for fear of their lives. And so these are, it'd be like me writing, I mean, I'm not equating myself to an apostle, don't think that, but it'd be like me writing to you guys if you all had to leave Belfast and scatter across the island, right? He loves them. And his desire isn't to expose them publicly. His desire is to help them. To show us what genuine, saving faith looks like. And I just want to pause here for a second, just to acknowledge that there are people in this room who who don't necessarily need to, to hear this message in the same way that others do. Because I know that there are people in this room who have a a tendency to to be overly hard on themselves and maybe that's you maybe you spend all your time wondering am I doing enough how much even is enough if I oh I, I did that but I didn't do that oh am I saved am I am I really in Jesus here you can analyze everything even the things you haven't done James is, is writing to this church that, that's going down the road in the wrong direction and for, for many in this room that doesn't describe you. The Lord knows each one of us. He knows our hearts. He knows our motives. He knows our desires. He knows the situations in life right now which make your doing lots of things difficult. Maybe you have poor health or you're a single parent or you're a parent with young kids or you have financial pressure. The, the Lord knows and he, he knows that we can't do everything. He knows that we can't help everyone or support everyone in need. But He wants our hearts, you see. And if He has our hearts, then our doing will follow. And no matter how small you're doing, if done with the right heart, will be precious to Him. But the reality is, and it falls on me to to say this this morning, there are others in this room who who need a wake-up call. Because if you never find yourself doing anything, if you always find yourself turning a blind eye, if you never feel the pull in your heart to help others, you only ever uh, find yourself hearing God's Word, but but not really ever doing God's Word, then maybe you need to ask yourself, is there a problem here? Maybe you need to ask yourself that difficult question, "Is is my claim genuine? Is my claim to have faith in Jesus a genuine one? Because just saying you're a Christian doesn't make you a Christian. Having a good grasp of the Bible and the doctrines of Christianity doesn't save you. Faith and action must go together. And that's what James wants to show us. By He gives us two examples from the Old Testament. In verses 20 to 26, he, he, he talks about uh, Abraham and Rahab. Now, let, let, let's look at uh, verses 21 and 22 first when he talks about Abraham. He says, was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see, that faith was active along with his works and faith was completed by his works. And and the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God and it was counted to him righteousness. And he was called a friend of God. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. And then he goes on down to 25 and he says, in the same way was not was not also Rahab the prostitute justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way? Two examples of faith, and, and they're pretty extreme examples, aren't they? On, on, for, for Jewish people anyway. Um, these Jewish Christians that, that James is writing to, for, for one, you have Abraham, the great patriarch, the, the head of the, the entire nation, the, the, uh, you know, the, the friend of God, the hero of the faith. And then on the other hand, you have Rahab, who's a Gentile prostitute. But despite their differences, Rahab and Abraham are both held up by James as examples of faith. You see, both of them proved that their faith was genuine by what they did. Rahab gave this incredible profession of faith. Do you know the story of Rahab? When, when, when the, the Israelite spies were coming into the, the land of Canaan because God had promised to give them the land. And, and, and Rahab hid the, the spies to, to save them uh, in her home. And this is what she says in Joshua chapter 2. She says to them, I know that the Lord has given you the land. That's her claim. Her claim is, I know that God Almighty is doing something here. And then she lifts a rhyme, uh, She rhymes off a list of things that he has done, and then she says, "The Lord your God, He is He is God in the heavens above and on the earth beneath." That's her claim to faith, right? She understands something of God, of who God is, but here's her action. She took a great risk and she hid the spies, as James said, and then sent them off in a different direction. Her her faith was evident by her actions. She didn't just say, yes, I believe that that the Lord your God, he is is the God of the heavens above. She actually did something about it. Her faith uh, shaped her life. It shaped her actions. And then take Abraham. God had promised Abraham that it was through his son, Isaac, that, that, that God would fulfill his covenant promises to him and, and create uh, the nation of Israel and thereby bring salvation for the whole world through Jesus. Humanly, uh, uh, and then uh, when, when Isaac was a young man, Abraham, God tells Abraham to sacrifice him on an altar. This makes no sense. If Isaac was dead, how could God fulfill his promises to him? But it says in verse 23 that Abraham believed God he took him at his word and it was credited to him as righteousness. So it wasn't in his action, it, so it wasn't his action of going to sacrifice Isaac which made him righteous, okay? It was his belief in God that made him righteous. But look at verse 22. He says, "You see that faith was active along with his works and faith was completed by his works." You see how this works? Faith and works go hand in hand together. Faith is completed by works. Faith is completed by what we do. Abraham was in a position where it would have actually been impossible. God says, hey, go and do this. And he says, God, I believe you, but I'm not going to do that. That would have been impossible. If he didn't do what God said, then that would prove that he didn't actually trust God, right? But instead, he did trust God and he acted on it. He believed that even if Isaac had died, God would still keep his promise. And that faith overflowed into the works of obedience in his life. Faith and works go hand in hand together. Faith is incomplete without works. What does that mean? It means that true faith is doing what we believe. Put it this way, it's putting your money where your mouth is. Uh, in 1859, the French tightrope walker, Charles Blondin, or Blondin, that's how we say it here, Charles Blondin, Charlie Blondin, he crossed the he crossed the, the, the Niagara Falls, there's a gorge below the Niagara Falls, um, on a tightrope, and he did this a few times. This tightrope was about three inches wide, okay, and it's a 300 meter span. And then at one point, there's a big crowd, thousands of people watching, and he 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 turns to the crowd and he says, right, who thinks that I could push a wheelbarrow across this? And every hand goes up. They're like, yes, we believe you could do that. And then he says, well, who thinks I could push a wheelbarrow across here with somebody sitting in the wheelbarrow? And everyone's like, yes, yes, you can do that. You can do that. We all believe this. And then Blondin says, well, who's going to get in the wheelbarrow? And every hand went down. No one was keen to put their money where their mouth was, and in the end, it was his manager, his per manager. He's like, "Well, maybe this is part of the show." So he says, "I believe you can do this." And his manager got in the wheelbarrow, and Charles Blondin pushed him safely across on the tightrope. You see, his manager's faith was completed by what he did. When the others said that they believed Charles Blondin, they didn't really believe him. If they they had have believed him, they would have been willing to get into the wheelbarrow, you see. But his manager was different. He he did believe, he said, I believe you can do this. And to prove that I believe this, I'm going to do it. Genuine faith puts its money where its mouth is, genuine faith can be seen in action. And this is what James is saying in, in, in verse 24. I think, this is, I think this verse is on the screen. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. Now, I want to be absolutely clear here, because maybe you read this and you think, well, hold on, that's different to what you say all the other times. You say that we're justified, be at right with God through faith alone. So what's going on? Well, to be clear, there's absolutely nothing that we can ever do to earn our salvation. That's why it's called grace, right? It's an act of grace. It's a gift to us. No amount of good works can make us right with God. The only way that we're saved is by trusting on the finished work of Jesus on the cross. And that faith, when we believe that Jesus did that for us, is enough for God to declare us made right with Him, justified. That's what that means, that we, we are justified with God. We're de- declared just. But what James seems to be saying in verse 24 is that a, a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. So what is going on here? Is James saying that it's what we do that makes us right with God? No, he's not. Remember, the Bible is God's word and God can't contradict himself. He can't say one thing in one place and another thing in another place. But James is saying, if we really are justified by trusting in the finished work of Jesus, then we can't and won't just go on living however we please. If our faith is genuine, our new life in Jesus will look very different from the old life we had without Jesus. If we've been saved by grace through faith in Jesus, then our lives will be changed. Saving faith will result in actions that will match what we say we believe. Now, here's a wee bit of maths for you on a Sunday morning. You see, our our natural sinfulness and self-importance sometimes leads us to believe that we can play a part in our salvation. We like the idea of that, especially in Northern Ireland, don't we? We like being good-living, right? We we like the idea of that I've got something to to contribute here. And, and, And sometimes we get our spiritual maths all wrong because the equation that James is talking about here is not faith plus works equals salvation that's not what he's saying just to be really clear hear me loud and clear on this it's not faith plus works equals salvation it's not that god gives faith as long as you work hard enough and then you're saved that's not how that works it's not that god gives faith to those who earn it it's never that but here's here's James's equation on the screen. Faith equals salvation plus work. Faith in Jesus leads to us being saved and then living for Jesus. Do you see how this works? When we put our trust in Jesus to save us, that's faith. And then we're saved. That's the salvation. And then we go on to live in a new way. That's works. God gives us a new life, and in our new life, we are transformed to be more like Jesus. So inevitably, we will do things more like what Jesus would do. John Calvin was um, a a pastor and a theologian in the 17th century. He was one of the reformers, and, and he says this, It is faith alone which justifies, and yet the faith which justifies is never alone. In other words, it's only faith in Jesus that saves us, but you'll be able to tell very quickly whether that faith is real or not by the actions it leads to. New life in Jesus leads to new living for Jesus. New life in Jesus leads to new living for Jesus. And so now we can go back to verse 24. Can we put that up on the screen again, Ethan? verse 24. Let's let's read verse 24 as James intends it to read it. You you see, he says, you see. Now, he's not saying, you see, as in therefore, or, you know, uh, now then, or, you know, the way we would use it. Oh, you see? What he's actually saying is, you literally see. You see that a person is justified by their works. You see there is evidence that a person is made right with God by by how they live, by what they do. You actually see that a person has faith in the chair when they sit down on it. You see that an apple, a tree has life when it produces apples. You see that a person has faith when they get into the wheelbarrow. You see that someone actually has new life in Jesus because they now live how Jesus wants them to. And I wonder, and I'm nearly finished today, I wonder when people look at us, do they see that we have faith in Jesus? Do they just hear us say it? Or do they see us do it? What do people think of when they, when they look at Village Church in South Belfast? When they look at our lives as a church family or they look at your life as an individual? Does the, does the way that we live show that we are in Jesus? Is our claim of faith in Jesus genuine? Is there evidence of the new life we now possess in Christ? And, and this is really, as he finishes off this section in verse 26, this is what he's getting at in his final sentence. He says, For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is, is dead. If, you, if you've ever, um, if you've ever um, been with someone and they've passed away, I hope you haven't, but if you have, you, it's, it's a strange thing that happens. When, when they die, their body just is, is, I mean, it sounds silly, it sounds obvious, but their body becomes lifeless. There's a huge difference between one second and the next. The body, apart from the spirit, that's what he's saying, when someone dies, the, the, it's, there's just nothing there. It's dead. And what James is getting at is, is that where there is life, there will be signs of life. When it comes to faith in Jesus, the signs of life, will be the good works that we do see faith that is living is a faith that works and what are these signs of life well, quite simply, it's, it's a life lived in obedience to God. It's being like Abraham and offering up everything you have and sacrifice to God. It's being like Rahab and reaching out to those in need and, and taking in strangers, no matter what the cost or danger is to yourself. It's putting the needs of others before your own needs. It's being humble and serving and genuine. It's being like Jesus. He humbled himself Emptied himself, who came not to be served, but to serve. These are the signs of life. These are the things that, that, uh, by which we know if our, our claim of faith is genuine or not. And so listen to Jesus asking you this morning, are there signs of life here? Is your claim of faith in Jesus genuine? Maybe, maybe he doesn't even need to ask that question because there are signs of life this morning. Maybe there's evidence that your faith is living. Evidence that your claim is genuine. Even then, I would say that, that we, all, we all have areas of our life where our claim isn't genuine. But maybe, maybe Jesus has come alongside you this morning. He's saying there is a problem here. He's saying there aren't signs of life Maybe for years you've been saying that you're a Christian. But when you examine how you live, there isn't much evidence of that life. Maybe your heart has grown cold and you don't really pray anymore. You never really read the Bible. You're not, you're not moved to help those in need. You have no real desire to obey your, uh, God in your actions. Now listen, if this is you this morning, it's okay. There's hope. There's always hope. There is good news. Hope is not lost. Uh, there is a way to be brought back to life again. In my wee study in our house, I have, have two plants that sit in the windowsill, right? Um, those are the living things that I have responsibility for in our house. <laughs> he only has responsibility for the children. I have the two plants. and She does way better with the kids than I do with the plants, um, One's a kind of wee aloe vera kind of thing, and, and the other's a cactus. And Haley got these for me, because I, I like plants, but she said, well, you, you can't kill them because they're succulents and they live in the desert. So she was wrong. I, I mean, uh, turns out I test, pushed them to the limit, because I forget to water them, and, and I don't look at them. And, and then one day I, I noticed there was a funny smell coming off the cactus, and it was, uh, it was not round and fat. It was thin and, and it kind of flopped over. And I said, well, that doesn't look good. And I thought it was dead, you know? There's no signs of life there. It was shriveled, it was dry. And it, it was, I was like, well, sorry, buddy, there's no way back for you. But then Healy said, because she's the responsible one in the house, she said, well, just look, Just give it some water. And I was like, I think it's gone. She's like, just try it. So I put some water in both of them. And the very next day, just overnight, completely different. Like completely different plants. Healthy Uh, There was vitality. There were signs of life again. It was the life-giving water being poured into them that brought them back to life. You see? I could say to that uh, plant, that cactus, right, come on, son, pick yourself up here. You're not doing enough. You're not trying hard enough to make yourself alive. What good would that do to him? It was the life-giving water being poured into that plant that brought him back to life. Him, I don't know why it's a him. I don't know. It was by drinking the water that there were signs of life once again. And so, maybe you feel like those plants. Maybe, maybe you've become a wee bit dry, a wee bit shriveled. Maybe there aren't that many signs of life anymore. Listen, there is a way back. And it's not through anything you can do. You need to have the life-giving water poured into you. The gospel is here to revive and refresh you. And if you let him, I think that's what the Holy Spirit is doing right now. Maybe he needs to pour that life-giving water into you again. Just trust once again, or maybe even for the first time, in what Jesus Christ has done. That it's not our works that save us, it's his work. Make Jesus the object of your faith. Trust Him as our Savior. That's how we receive the saving faith. That's how we begin this new life with with Him. Come to Him. Drink from Him. Receive from Him. Return to Jesus again this morning. Even if you return to Him every week. Return to Him again now. Even if you haven't come to Him ever in your life or, 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 or you haven't done it for years, return to Him this morning and let this life-giving water pour into you again. And it's from there the signs of life come. It's from there the works follow the faith. Maybe that's you this morning. I'm going to ask Chris to come back up and, and we're going to move into time of worship and we're going to come to the Lord's table. But before we do that, let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, Heavenly um, Father, when we come to texts like this, we, we do find it difficult. Um, thank you for your word that it's life-giving. Father, I pray you'd expose the areas of our lives where we've allowed ourselves to become shriveled and dry, where, where our, 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 our words don't match our actions. Father, I want to pray right now specifically for the whoever in this room uh, feels shriveled and dry, who feels lifeless and has no signs of life, I, I pray, Lord, that, that, that you would visit them uh, right now by your Spirit, pour into them your life-given water. Let us see through the table that we come to the work of Christ that saves us, that revitalizes us. Father, I pray that by your grace you would heal us all, that you would... Um, comfort us all you would encourage us all i pray especially for my for my brothers and sisters this morning who feel that they're barely clinging on um father i pray that uh, we would be seen and perceived uh, uh, not as people who just hear the word but people who do the word not as people who just say we love jesus but people who show that we love jesus or may we live your gospel as you lived it. May we follow your example. Thank you for your cross. Thank you for your sacrifice. Thank you for your table, this meal that we take together as your children. Visit us in, in, in that special way through your table this morning, Lord Jesus. Let's receive your grace once again. And may we be revived. In Jesus' name.